0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to start by reading an excerpt from an article from uh, 5280.com that came out this past August. Early on the afternoon of April 20th, 2020, half a dozen teenage boys drove to a trailhead just east of Breckenridge. They hiked up a hill and formed a ramp out of the sticky spring snow, carefully etching their names into the front of their creation, their friend's name into the front of their creation, T-O-B-Y, Toby. Then they strapped on their snowboards and took turns, launching off the jump, soaring up to 20 feet in the air before returning to earth. Summit County Public Health orders at the time discouraged such a gathering, but the boys, who hadn't seen each other in weeks, were hurting. They stayed for five hours, releasing their grief and primal screams each time they took off, "'This one's for Toby!' Toby Gard was a second-generation Breckenridge boy. His grandfather, Bill, had founded a well-known local electric company. His mom, Heather, spent part of her childhood living in an 1800s mining cabin up Brown's Gulch. He fit the, Toby fit the stereotypical mountain kid mold. He was a gifted athlete who played five sports, made the honor roll, had charming dimples, He competed hard and suffered three concussions while playing hockey by the time he was 13. The third was a doozy, his mother says. He knew his first name, but not his last. He was fully in retrograde amnesia. The third concussion ended his hockey career, but he had been looking forward to the 2020 lacrosse season at Summit High School right across the street from us before it was canceled as a result of the pandemic. Stuck at home, Toby began to rebel more than a usual teen might. He snuck out late at night to drink, vape, smoke. He argued with his mom and dad. They told him the pandemic would soon be over, but it didn't ease his anxiety. He said to us many times, I've got to get out of here, his mom said. This is really not good for me. I can't handle this isolation. I need to be with my friends. His mom, Heather, asked him if he wanted to see a therapist, but Toby demurred in the early hours of April 20th, sleep deprived from sneaking out the night before. He argued with his parents over the use of his phone. He did not want to give it up when he went to bed. You don't know what you're doing to me, he said. As he and his mother stood in his room, his mom said, or he said, Mom, I just don't know what to do. His mom recalls she hugged her son. I didn't know to ask him if he was feeling suicidal. I didn't know to ask him to clarify. I didn't know to be with him. He had started to calm down. Heather left his room and went to take a bath, and by the time she got out of the tub, Toby was gone, and he was 16. The realities of mental illness and suicide amongst our youth and our children, are right in front of our faces. I right. just talked with Ty a couple of days ago. Ty is uh, at Summit High School right now. He's been trained to be a mentor for the students so that if he <laughs> sees danger happening, uh, someone talking in harmful ways, that he can be a, a safe person to talk with and to help. And... And he was tell, telling me, told me about the, the Safe to Tell um, uh, hotline, how if, if anyone sees anything negative, bad, harmful, that they can call, text, whatever, and report this. Teachers, I've talked with teachers at Summit High School. They, they've told me, they hear even a smack of, of self-harm or, or, or even a hint coming from one of the students that that they may be depressed. They are on it like white on rice. They, they, they just can't play around anymore. It is an epidemic. So much so that uh, th- this past week, Thank you, Lee. (laughs) Uh, This past week, uh, the Surgeon General of the United States released a 40-page document talking about the mental health crisis of our children in this nation. And one of the things he says is that the challenges today's generation of young people face uh, are unprecedented and uniquely hard to navigate. And the effect these challenges have had on their mental health is devastating. We are in a, a series right now where we're looking at loneliness. We're looking at, uh, as we have in the, the past, uh, our, our, our lonely world. That was two weeks ago. And then last week, we looked at our, our lonely community and the realities of that, and we t- took a look at that based on scripture and, and tried to underst- trying to understand why, how sin has impacted the life that we live in this world that's broken and... and Today we will specifically focus on our our lonely children. And I want to uh, start by saying, clarifying that, that loneliness and mental illness are not one in the same, right? Mental illness, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, those are like, uh, the, the, it's not one in the exact same with loneliness, but the correlation, the strong correlation between the two, it's undeniable. It's, it's almost the proverbial uh, chicken and the egg kind of, which, which one comes first? Loneliness that leads to mental illness or mental illness that leads to loneliness? <sighs> Probably not even a game worth playing right now. But they are related. Our world is lonely. Our children are lonely. And yes, our Jesus comes into this. It's at the points of loneliness <laughs> that He comes in. And says, I'm with you. In our gospel text today from Mark 10, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem through Judea. And uh, Jesus, pretty big deal at this point, right? He's got his followers. His disciples who are with him, they're kind of his entourage, if you will. And as they're going from town to town and city to city, uh, the disciples are following Jesus. And, and the disciples, they've seen, they've heard, they've, they, they've experienced for themselves what Jesus has done. Up to this point, they have already seen Jesus miraculously feed thousands of people when there's no food available. They, they've heard Jesus teach in, in profound ways that penetrated hearts and minds. They, they've seen Jesus touch people and heal them. The lame, the sick, the blind, the deaf. Even right before this account, Jesus took some of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they went up on the mountaintop and they had their transfiguration experience where they saw not just Jesus, but, but Moses and Elijah and Jesus himself, but not the same, like transfigured in his Godness, showing his power, showing his glory, showing his splendor. They knew that Jesus was a big deal. And so Jesus, as he's walking from town to town, they're going with him and they, they're going in knowing that this is kingdom of God's stuff that they're a part of. And they're walking in, and I almost have this picture of them kind of uh, like secret service agents, right? His entourage protecting him, walking in, they've got their earpieces, alright, everything's clear on the west corridor, and, you know, they're trying to keep the crowds organized, and orderly, and as Jesus comes in and people hear about it, they want to be there. They want to be with him. They want to experience this, especially parents with their kids. And so parents start coming and gathering around Jesus like like Santa at at the mall. And and they're forming lines, but it's a little disorderly. And kids are being kids, right? And and some kids are crying and other kids are running around and and they're making noise. and, And as this is all happening, the parents, they just want Jesus to touch their kids, to bless them. But the disciples, oh, this is important kingdom of God stuff back up, order, order, right? And they're they're trying to keep the kids away from Jesus and Jesus sees this. I am quite sure, this isn't in scripture, but I'm quite sure that Jesus at this point does like a double face palm. Oh, you guys just don't get it told that he was indignant with them. Uh, that if, you, if you know uh, want to know like the, the Greek there, the translation or, or the definition of indignant means he's not happy with them. He was mad. He was frustrated. Come on, guys. Get with it. Let the kids come. And so the kids pour in. And he took the children in his arms, he embraced them. He placed his hands on them and blessed them. I really want to focus on that aspect of placing his hands on them. Uh, the English standard version translate that as, as "the laying on of hands." The laying on of hands, other places that that comes out is when Jesus is healing someone who's sick, what does Jesus do? Boom, lays hands on them. Other places where the laying on of hands comes out in the New Testament is when an individual is being installed into a a new office as a a pastor or a a deacon of the church. There's the laying on of hands. It it signifies that... giving of, of special grace and, and power. When I was installed as pastor up here, other pastors and many of you were here, and you laid hands on me. So when Jesus is laying hands on the children, like there is deep significance beyond this. This isn't just Jesus bouncing kids on his knees. There's, there's deep theological un, uh, underpinnings here that, that are going on. He loves the kids he belong they belong with him. and as I was reading through this passage and thinking about how this applies in in the church. It it made me think of uh, a sign that I saw or kind of a painting on a wall in the youth room at a previous church I served. It said that, that this. It said, Belonging comes before believing. And I've heard that expanded on. And that believing comes before behaving. Think about these things, though. Belonging. Feeling safe, feeling welcomed into a place, feeling heard and, and seen and cared for. I read it said that uh, for, for youth today, being heard by adults is almost synonymous with being loved by adults. Knowing that they are listening to you because they care about you. And it's in that, that safe environment of belonging that then believing can happen, that the guards can be let down, that that uh, we can say yes to following Jesus, or maybe maybe better put, uh, we can stop saying no. <laughs> to Jesus' invitation, that we can believe and be baptized and follow him. And and then it's out of that believing that we do behave. We know this, that the the scriptures do teach that there is a right way and a wrong way to live in the midst of God's people. And there's commandments that are given out. Uh, But... Here's my concern. How often do we get the order reversed? And we start with behaving and then lean into believing, and finally, then allow people to feel a sense of safety and belonging behave, right? Uh, I, I, th- I think of the world. I like it. Act a certain way. Get a certain uh, grade in your class. And maybe that's a really good grade, or, or maybe the, the, the group that you want to belong with, uh, if, they, if they see you getting too good of grades, then, oh, you're a goody two-shoes, right? Whatever. Shouldn't be that. Or dress a, a certain way. Behave a certain way. Dress a certain way. Talk a certain way. Behave a certain way before you can be part of us. The amount of anxiety and pressure that our, our kids feel today to behave the right way just so that they can get their peers to like them. It's it's everywhere. Sports, school. I mean, and I'm not trying to like uh, throw anyone under the, the bus specifically here, but I mean the pressure is, is immense. Behave a certain way so you can get, get into the college you want to get into. Behave a certain way so that you can be part of the performance, and you can be first chair instead of uh, third chair. But it's not just the, the world, and this is where it gets real heavy, in my mind. It can be the church. elders' meetings that I've sat in at a previous congregation where an over-hour-long discussion took place around the problem of kids bringing Starbucks into the worship service. We paid a lot of money for this carpet. What if they spill it? Who's going to clean it up then? Lord have mercy and even in, in my own heart I see this happening when my boys are here and they're running around and they're acting like a 7 and a 9 year old boy are going to act and they're running and they're throwing things and, the, and, and what, is, what do I do? Because I'm dad, pastor and I don't want to look bad in front of people behave <laughs> act with respecting god's house right and 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 the problem becomes this is am i am i asking them to behave because this is how we function as a family and because this is what it's like to be in this community or am i just asking asking them to behave because i don't want to look bad You see, sometimes when we get this order reversed, all that kids hear is behave. And when they don't feel like they're acting the right way, then they, that leads them to the conclusion well, I must not belong there. Lord, have mercy. How un Jesus like we, the disciples, so called followers of Jesus, can be at times. Of course, Jesus in Mark 10 he's a step outside of Jerusalem he's a, a a step away from getting on the donkey riding in triumphantly into Jerusalem entering into passion week in which he has uh, the last supper with his disciples where he has his mock trial Where he's hung up on a cross, alone, abandoned by his disciples, even by his father when he cries out... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, think about that. If that's not the most profoundly mysterious uh, theological concept in the Bible, I don't know what it is, that, that God the Father for, for that moment turned his face away from what was happening to his son on the cross. And yet, why was this happening? Why was Jesus on the cross to start with? Well, he was on the cross so that we could be there with him for eternity. He was on the cross, suffering our death, suffering our punishment, suffering our, our separation and loneliness, so that we don't have to. So that he could give us the you know deep theological term substitutionary atonement, right? So so that he can take upon himself our death, our sin, our pain, our affliction, our loneliness and then give to us his grace, his righteousness, his life, his community. In the church, with the Godhead three in one, he was on the cross because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He's fulfilling what he came to do, what he was born for some 33 years earlier. Emmanuel with us. Calvary and the cradle are not that far apart. He's fulfilling his mission so that those of you who have been welcomed with the open arms of our Lord Jesus can believe and be part of his community forever. He tells us. Right before he goes, goes to the cross. He tells us. I'm, I'm going ahead of you. So I can prepare a place for you. In heaven. So that you can be with me. Forever. That is. The grace of our God. The longing. With him. May we, as his followers, may we share that grace and extend it. To this book I've been reading in preparation for this sermon and this series is uh, Three Big Questions That Challenge Every Teenager. And one of the three questions are: is this. Uh, where do I fit? Belong. Belonging. Right? It's a question that is just deep in their soul that they're looking for. And, and uh, we pray that by the power of God's grace working in us, we can be that place of safety and comfort for our lonely children who are hurting. I, I experienced it this morning, even, as I was getting ready for church and, and just kind of looking through notes and putting the final... Uh, Conclusions on the the PowerPoint and whatnot. I was sitting in our family room and I'm doing this, you know, important kingdom of God stuff. (laughs) And Asher comes up to me and he jumps on my lap. And I felt it in my heart. It's like I'm busy. I'm I'm busy right now. And yet I'm literally looking at Mark chapter 10, verse 16. Lord Jesus, help me. Help me to be more like you. Totally worth it. And if I was a little bit late or if I missed a few slides today during worship, well, um, no, it's because your pastor was trying to be like Jesus, right? <laughs> um, the, the, the reality that we face as a, as a congregation is uh, our size, like... <laughs> Here, here, here's our, this is our, the picture on our homepage, right? Didn't really think about the significance of you belong with us until pouring into the sermon. I realized, oh yeah, this is what we're supposed to be about, isn't it? Help us, Jesus. This is me and, and Brandon and some of our kids and, and Colby was, uh, Taking the picture here, moms, right you know always the photographer never in the photos right so, um, and and we're going rock climbing and yeah, may that be who we are and yet the, as you notice uh, we've got a bunch of young Children here we do we don 't have as many high school uh, kids in our congregation that 's just our nature and so then the, the, the question is when we think about Toby and, we, and when we think about the pains of, of the county how, how do we, how can we be a space for belonging for our teenagers and one of the beauties of living in Summit County and for there being a a light uh, church population, if you will, is that we get to lean on each other. This morning with us are two of my new friends, uh, Lee and Rob. Uh, Rob is the director of Young Life up here in Summit County, and Lee is the director, is that the right term, of uh, Summit County Youth, both uh, Christian organizations that are, well about belonging. right? And how do we as a congregation at Christ Lutheran lean into uh, this belonging? Well, maybe it's by fellowshipping with our friends (laughs) that are right down the street right here with us. So thank you for being with us today. And may the Lord uh, bless our relationships with each other as we strive to bless this community with the love and presence, the belonging that only Christ can give. Amen? Amen.